Welcome into another exciting episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. Tonight we have three fun interviews. Wes Blankenship, known for his play-by-play voice of Coffee Town. He is a lot of fun to visit with. I hope you will enjoy that interview. After him, batting in the two spot, Chris Harris, the play-by-play voice of the Mississippi Braves, the AA South League champ. Mississippi Braves. So enjoy that interview with Chris Harris and the batting cleanup, a duo, Rick and Tyler Cleveland. You won't get any finer sports writing family than this family and Rick and Tyler Cleveland and what they have done for the state of Mississippi. So sit back and enjoy these three interviews. With fall and cooler weather just around the corner, there's no better time to head out to Brothers in Arms. It's Hattiesburg's premier outdoor gun range. It is located at 4657 Highway 49 South. Whether you're a new shooter or an experienced one, all are invited to shoot on the safe and family-oriented range. Go check them out and inquire about their annual memberships, hourly rates, as well as their training classes they offer. Once again, that's Brothers in Arms Outdoor Range at 4657 Highway 49 South in Hattiesburg. And remember, always keep your sights pointed downrange. We're excited now to be joined by Wes Blankenship, the voice, play-by-play voice of Coffee Town. Wes, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Absolutely. Glad to uh, be here with you. Wes, you, let's, let's, we'll, we'll dive into Coffee Town, but um, you're driving, you're on your way to the Outsider headquarters. Tell our listeners, um, exactly what what that is and what kind of content uh, they can find from Outsider. Yeah, um, thank you again for just the, the opportunity to, to chat with you and talk about the company that I'm working for and, and the work I'm doing. I mean, I know you could be giving this time to anybody, so it means a lot. But uh, Outsider is my full-time employer. I'm a content producer and talent for Outsider. And what this company is, is a digital media startup. Um, I know you've heard of, you know, websites like Amazon.com, Google.com. And Outsider is kind of like that, except it's not you know, trying to take over the world necessarily. It's just digital media, stories, entertainment, um, lifestyle, outsider uh, content, you know, for people that like to do things outside, whether it's hiking or fishing, hunting, or just sitting outside with friends around a campfire. You know, it's just looking for those things that, we as everyday Americans like to read about or talk about with our buddies and family members and just kind of putting our own spin on it. And uh, we're really developing this voice. I've only worked that outsider for six months, Um, but it's taken off, man. It it is really headed to a place where we're nailing down the vision, nailing down the uh, service and resource that we're going to provide to people that, that want to uh, read our stories and enjoy the voice that we do it in. And that's uh, that doesn't happen overnight. 
but we got a pretty good team working on it every single day, uh, trying to make this something where everybody in America that wants to participate, wants us to be united and wants to uh, be a part of something like that, it's going to give them a place to engage and, uh, and participate in the conversation with us. Wes, the lead-in um, to this, I imagine, had uh, something to do with the Coffee Town series that you've done that has really, to me, gone, I don't know what the definition of going viral is, but this certainly has to be it, and, and the exposure that it's given you. Can you tell our listeners that are maybe not familiar with uh, Coffee Town, what the background there is, and then yeah. uh, the fun that you have with it. Yeah, sorry you hear this beeping. I'm getting off an exit right now, and there's actually a little earth mover that's trying to dig something up, but it looks like its shovel has broken off. So oh, no. hopefully, uh, hopefully this podcast is way more functional <laughs> than that. And, uh, it is at times, Wes, but I'm not making promises 100% of the time. Um, so, yeah, so you're right. If I didn't make Coffee Town, you know, I don't think Marty Smith knows who I am. And Marty is a, is a partner, investor, outsider. He also is talent there as well. And that's Marty Smith from ESPN, um, if you're not familiar with him or his work. Um, I, re- I recommend you check it out. Uh, but Marty has told, or he did tell Shannon Terry who launched this website. Um, you know, Shannon Terry is a man who created rivals.com, uh, and it was acquired by Yahoo for a lot of money. Yeah. He, he, he created, uh, 247sports.com and it was acquired by CBS for a lot of money. So he understands how to create websites. And uh, and Marty told him, like, hey, Wes has this thing called Coffee Town. He understands how to build, uh, you know, communities on social media. That's what I, that's what Marty told me that he said. So if that's not really what he told him, that's not my fault. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so Outsider is, it is a, it is a vision of a, a lifestyle company and uh, a company that wants to create media content that unites people. And Coffee Town is a video series that I created while I was unemployed a couple years ago after working in local news for almost 10 years. Uh, it's basically a, a satire, comedy, sketch, but also, you know, more than a comedy to me, it is a way to pay tribute to the high school football radio announcers of America who have their own idiosyncrasies. They speak their own kind of language. And uh, I just kind of created this universe of players and um, plays in this radio station where if you've ever heard one of these calls on a Friday night in the South, surprising to me, as I made more of these videos, I wasn't just hearing from people in the South. I was hearing from people in the Midwest. I was hearing from people in the Southwest. I was hearing from people in the Pacific Northwest. And for a frame of reference, I live in Georgia, so there's really nothing east of me 
where I could have heard anything because um, I don't I don't think they're playing much high school football out you know in the out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But if they did, then maybe they would have liked Coffee Town too. And it's just it's just fun. It was just me having an idea, having some creative freedom, and uh, kind of bringing an an idea into the world through social media. That uh, I don't know when I started out. It was more of a creative expression for me than it was this big idea like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unite people. You know, that's, that's not how I think. You know, that's not, that's not an authentic or normal way to think. But I am grateful that the skills and the uh, writing abilities that I have been given by God have, you know, ultimately brought people around this little, this little neighborhood cul-de-sac on Twitter and on Instagram and, and wherever else. So so that started a couple of years ago, went viral. Marty and McGee on the SEC Network shared it, had me on their show and picked up some steam. And um, yeah, then ultimately that's that's where the road started to uh, to let someone like Shannon Terry and, and Marty believe that I could be a piece, a small piece of the, uh, the company that they're creating and investing in and trying to put out there in front of the world. Wes, you talk about um, the neighborhood and, and how, I mean, the internet certainly has, uh, it's so strange in that it can make it a small world with what you're kind of talking about in the community that you've kind of brought in and then reached just all over the place. It, it's really bizarre in that. But you also talk about your background in communications. A guy like Marty Smith, I mean, it's certainly not lost on you that I have an accent. I, I call football here in South Mississippi on Friday nights. But when when I was man, going, I love I love your accent, man. I wish I was, I wish I actually spoke like you. It is a uh, just a tremendous part of our country to have an accent like that and that there are people that speak like you is a beautiful thing. So that is a, a compliment from my heart, man. You you've got a, a vocal gift. Thank you for that, Wes. And the point I was going to make is you've got Marty Smith, who certainly has his own accent. Lord, we've got Wright Thompson from the state of Mississippi with his accent and, and his Man. voice. That's just a gift from God. But, you know, maybe through some of our classes, we were taught you need to sound like you're from a certain part of the country through uh -huh. community class. And that, like, yeah. that's been thrown out the, the window, has it not? Well, let me tell you, I'm from Gwinnett County, all right? I was born in Savannah, so I can speak with a Savannah drawl in my sleep. Uh, but I grew up in Gwinnett County, and that is like a melting pot of not only the South, but of the country, okay? So I think through the years, you know, it depends which company I'm around. If I'm around people from Gwinnett or if I'm around people from the South, they're like, where are you from, man? You don't have an accent at all. But I've worked, I've worked with people that are from the Northeast, and they they will do like a an impression of me, and they sound like Foghorn Leghorn. I'm like, I don't talk, I don't talk like that. You know, that's not that's not how I sound. But it's just a matter of how your voice hits people's ear, right? So, you know, working in broadcasting, you're totally right because I had voice coaches, talent coaches come in and and like review my work when I worked in Macon, Georgia, and when I worked in Atlanta, you know, and, 
and people would say, like, you got to lose that dialect, son. You've got to have more of a, a broadcast voice. And I'm like, that is so 1980s local news for you to think that way. No one cares about that. They want to hear how you actually sound. So, yeah, I say anybody listening to this that is wondering, like, man, do I need to maybe pronounce my my L's a little bit better or round out my vowels because I'm from Alabama or Texas or Oklahoma or wherever. No, just be yourself. It is one less thing. Look, when you're on TV, you're on radio, you're on a podcast where, or wherever, like there's enough to think about before you have an idea that comes out of your brain and makes it to your voice. You don't need to be thinking about how your voice sounds. I'm sorry. That That's one of the, the craziest things that the broadcast industry ever thought had to be a part of the package. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm glad Marty does it. And uh, more power to anyone else that's pursuing it, too. So, Wes, I know our our time is short, but could you give our listeners, maybe a lot of them certainly, that uh, follow this show and are on uh, Twitter following this show are familiar with your work, but... We have something that we just talked about going viral. We had our offensive tackle, a senior, Connor Davis, who really went uh, viral this last week with his senior banner with him as an offensive tackle with a stack of pancakes yeah. and the syrup uh, being poured over theirs. Could you give us, uh, Wes, just a, a, a bit or a, saw, a snippet yeah. of maybe Coffee Town and, and the Popperville Hornets? Who's Popperville playing this week? We have the Purvis Tornadoes at what we call the Hornet's Nest there in Popperville. The Purvis? Purvis? Yep, Purvis Hornets. I mean, Purvis right. Tornadoes, excuse me. All right, you got it. All right, we got uh, Popperville taking on Purvis, and uh, Connor Davis coming back for break now. Connor Davis just had his sixth pancake block of the game. He is really stacking them up like a plate of breakfast, and uh, – I tell you what, he's he's pouring syrup on it and butter, but there's nothing sweet about this boy's game. Connor Davis is just down there wrecking the Purvis Tornadoes, uh, and he's welcome to the Hornets' Nest in Poplarville fashion, son. Thank you so much, Wes. One last question, and then I'll let you uh, continue on your travels there. The Braves, yeah. I know in some of your commentary, but um, <laughs> what what is your uh, heart rate like when Will Smith comes in to uh, close some of these ball games in the night for our Braves, man? It's kind of like watching my daughter run towards a, a couch. And it's kind of like watching her just standing on a couch and just wondering, am I going to be able to make it across the room before she falls off. <laughs> and Will Smith, I tell you, man, he gets a bad rap because he stresses us out in race country here. But he gets it done, does he not? <laughs> yeah, he does. I think in one of your uh, one of the series, you you comment that that'll make your knees sweat, and that's oh. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel watching him, man. Gosh, my my knees sweat, my <laughs> knuckles, my eyelids are just dripping sweat when he's pitching, man, but uh, he gets it done. And, uh, hey, congrats to the uh, Mississippi Braves winning that, the, the Mississippi.
Yeah, thank you, Wes, man, for your time. We're actually going to have the voice of the Mississippi Braves on, uh, Chris Harris, later in this episode. So you've nailed this as you have uh, all of your opportunities, man. Continued success. Thank you so much. Glad to be a part of Talking Ball. Love it. Y'all have a great weekend. Thank you, Wes. Hey, folks, it's never too early or too late to get that spring cleaning done. Give our friends at Silver Run Cleaning Services a call. They provide Pearl River County and the surrounding areas with a professional cleaning service. Silver Run Cleaning offers tailor-made and customizable services for your commercial business, your post-construction cleanup, and your residence. Remember that Silver Run Cleaning Services. For reoccurring and one-time appointments, give Darby McCraney a call at 601-337-1721. That number once again is 601-337-1721. Let Silver Run Cleaning Services handle all your messy cleanups. We're excited now to be joined by the voice of the Mississippi Braves, Chris Harris. Chris, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Hey, appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on. I hope uh, you guys are doing well. We are, man. Maybe not as good as you, though, coming off the heels <laughs> of uh, getting a call, a championship uh, for your AA South League Mississippi Braves. Tell us about that experience. Well, it, it was it was just a culmination of of a, an incredible, incredible run for these guys, and in a season that you know we've never experienced before. You know, coming off a year where we didn't have any minor league baseball, and uh, you know, going into this season, <clears throat> there were so many unknowns. You know, as far as uh, what these guys were to expect and what the protocols. You know, seeing what guys look like coming back off of a uh, an entirely missed season. Uh, so there were so many things up in the air uh, that you just really didn't know what to expect. You kind of had a feeling coming out of spring training that, you know, this group of guys, uh, you know, at this level in the Atlanta Braves organization were, were really talented. They were sending some guys back to double A that you knew was going to help this club, you know, like a Trey Harris, like a Grayson Genesta, uh, pitcher Nolan Kingham. They were going to be, you know, leaders on the team. And then you obviously, you know, have the, the former first-round picks and, and Shea Langoliers behind the plate and, and Braden Shoemake at, at shortstop. And uh, you go into the season and, and, you know, we get get off and running and, and the team, you know, comes out of the, out of the gate a little bit slow. They, they lost their first four games, started the season uh, four and eight, lost the first two series of the year. But, you know, after that, they they finished 28 games above 500. And, uh, you know, it's a testament to, to their resolve and character and and their their ability. It was probably the most in 12 years of doing minor league baseball. This was probably the most, I call it a college-like atmosphere around a team just because this group stayed together for the most part the entire season. Uh, they really pulled for each other. There was a lot of excitement every time. You know, guys did things. There was it seemed to be a, a, a higher, uh, you know, a higher uh, one of as far as winning. Uh, where you know, technically in the minor leagues, you're here to develop, and winning is, is sort of secondary. It's good, but you, you know, it's not the the main priority. But these guys wanted to win, and you know, they went through the, a lot of adversity during the season. You know, the manager. Uh, of the uh, the club, Wyatt Terragas, uh resigned after the first month of the season. Our pitching coach Dan Meyer took over as interim manager, as well as taking on his his pitching coach duties. We had an entirely new coaching staff that was new to the organization this year. 
we had a big COVID outbreak uh, in August and really wasn't sure if, if the season was going to even finish or if we could finish the season at that time. We'd had a COVID outbreak and then the double A Cups had a COVID outbreak, uh, COVID outbreak with the Tennessee Smokies. So we weren't sure if the season would even finish. But, you know, these guys clinched with, with eight games remaining and knew we had a, a spot in the, the one round playoffs and uh, waited on an opponent. But, you know, getting to that that playoff series, of course, as you guys know, following baseball, you know, anything can happen in a best of five series with two teams that are, you know, one team, Montgomery, double A for the Rays, who, by the way, were the only Tampa Bay Rays minor league team not to win a championship this year. Wow. That's how good uh, that organization is in the minors right now. Um, You know, for them to face a team that won six straight to get into that spot, um, you know, we knew the Braves had, had their work cut out for them. You know, lost the first game, kind of got punched in the mouth. It was a rough ending to the season. We had back-to-back cancellations. Had to check in and out of three hotels in four days before the playoffs started. Uh, kind of got punched in the first game, lost 7-1, bounced back, won the second game 8-5. to five. Uh, Came back home, won uh, game three. Um you know, kind of in an impressive fashion, uh, jumped out to an 11-4 lead, had to hang on for an 11-9 victory. Then on Saturday, you know, Montgomery came out and just beat the Braves' brains in 14-2. to So you go into Sunday, like, what the heck's going to happen today? And, uh, you know, Alan Renhell made the start on Sunday and got off to a shaky start with the first two guys getting on base. But after that, he was just absolutely tremendous. Struck out eight over six innings and allowed three hits, one run. It was unearned. And then, uh, you know, our relievers, you know, combined to retire at one time with Renhell, 20 straight batters. And, you know, just like this team's done all season, you know, it was the home run ball that was the difference. Grayson Jennings to hit his 22nd of the year uh, to go up two to one. And, uh you know, Nolan King will finish it off of the ninth. And, and I've never, in 12 years, I'm telling you, I've never seen a minor league team more excited and relishing a minor league championship than this group of guys just because of everything they had been through. And I, it's not hyperbole. Like, it, it was legitimately surprising. You got first-round picks, you know, signed for $3 million, $7 million. You know, just absolutely emptying the tank for a minor league championship you know that's not their end goal but that's how much it meant to them this year so it was it was fun to be along for the ride you know i'm glad i didn't blow the call at the end uh you know you're always worried about about that and um you know i hope hope it's something they can they can cherish for a long time because it really was a special group of of guys in atlanta bridge fans have a lot to look forward to yeah good clean call is um, as you have on the Mississippi Braves Twitter page, you can see that excitement. You can hear uh, Chris's call over on their Twitter page or on Chris's. We'll get his handle before we let him go today. But Chris, when you look at this team, you go twenty-eight over five, uh, twenty-eight games over five hundred. You've got a tremendous club, which you've described there. Double A awards given out, Player of the Year on this ball club, and then pitcher of the year as well. Will you talk to the listeners about those two players in particular? Yeah, the the Atlanta Braves named their Hank Aaron Award winner, which is the best position player in the minor leagues this year. It was given to to Shea Langoliers, which, um, you know, it's hard to to really uh, begin uh, talking about Shea. Uh, Number nine uh, overall pick in the 2019 draft out of Baylor. 
You know, the, the Braves had two first-round picks in 2019 because they did not sign their number eight overall pick from the previous year, Carter Stewart. So they had the number nine pick and the number 21 pick, and Shea was the number nine pick. Braden Shoemaker ultimately was the number 21 pick. But for Shea, you know, he was drafted. I think everybody knew he was above average defensively. You know, he had a great arm. Uh, he had all the tools behind the plate, but they were worried about the bat. And for Shea, I think really from the very beginning this year, he w became the guy uh, offensively, you know, led the team with those 22 home runs during the regular season, drove in 52 runs. And on top of that, you know, he was tied uh, for first in all of minor league baseball with 30 caught stealings on the year. He was about 44 percent and throwing out base stealers. And it just got to a point this year, and, and this is something else I really had never seen, that, that teams that it was part of their DNA to run just stopped running. Wow. They, they just knew that it was not the best philosophy when he was behind the plate. Mm -hmm. um, but for Shea, you know, I think what, what should make Atlanta Braves fans happy, and you see those numbers and stats, but it's really what he does, you know, away from – those two things, the way he handles a staff. I mean, you talk to every pitcher that came through this club this year, and they have nothing but amazing things to say about him. He puts down a pitch. He called every pitch this year. Not one pitch was called by the dugout. He called every pitch when he was behind the plate. You know, he very rarely saw anybody shake off. I mean, he knew what every pitcher uh, threw, what their strong suits were, and uh, you know, they had that full trust. You know, he was just a great uh, receiver behind the plate. And, you know, he just has that ability, uh, you know, so much far above his years is that veteran instinct. One thing that I really uh, noticed about him, and he worked with Sal Fasano, the uh, former catcher, former mobile manager uh, that's now on the Atlanta Braves coaching staff. And I think one thing that he kind of got from him was to really – you know, in the minor leagues, sometimes, you know, pitchers lose trust in their stuff. And oftentimes you get a, an umpire who necessarily uh, is struggling with the strike zone, which I, I, I'm oftentimes probably a little bit too harsh on umpires. But, you know, he was always one to reassure a pitcher. You know, if they made a great pitch that wasn't called, he would make sure, you know, whether it was a motion gesture, something he said, to make sure his pitcher was, was still confident. It was just those little things uh, you know, that that were the most special things outside the numbers. Um, and then for Shea, I mean, you know, he's one of the nicest, nicest young men you'll ever come in contact with. So he really is the total package. And uh, the only catcher I've seen in this league that I would say is a comparison, you know, would be uh, probable. There's two guys, JT Wilmuto, who came through with Jacksonville. And Mike Zunino, who came through with with Jackson in 2012, um, I think I think Shea probably has um, just as good of a future as both those guys. I don't think necessarily he's as gifted offensively as a JT Romuto, but not saying he couldn't get there. I mean, the kid is so smart. Uh, on the mound, I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit long no, here. On the mound, great. that's good uh, for Braves fans. If you can go long <laughs> on a guy, that's, that's music to their ears and minds. So. Yeah. Uh, on the mound, Bryce Elder. Um, Bryce was with us for, I believe it was nine starts. Um, he started out with Rome, uh, came up to us after a great start with Rome. And for Bryce, you know, a, a 2020 first round pick. 
a guy who was taken in the fifth round, which it's still mind boggling to think, mm. you know, he made it all the way to the fifth round. You know, a guy who kind of developed late, he was a, a really good golfer in high school. Um, that was really going to be his future, his sophomore year in high school in Texas. Um, his baseball coach um, said, you know, you really should maybe focus a little bit more on, on pitching because you have some potential. And he began to, to focus on pitching, but uh, it wasn't really until the summer after his senior year that he got an offer from Texas. Wow. And, of course, that was his dream school. And he went on to play at Texas. He became their Friday night starter his final two years there and really had a tremendous career at Texas. You know, started out well this year in Rome and then came up to us. And, and I think the big thing for him was just the bulldog mentality. You know, he's a strikeout pitcher. You know, he, he works ahead. Um goes deep into ball games. You know, he has that pure starters pedigree. He's got a, a big presence out there on the mound. He's, you know, six foot, 220. Um, so he's got the power. He's up in there in that 92 to 94 range, not going to blow you away. A great changeup, a great slider. Uh, can have the swing and miss stuff, but I think the thing that really bodes well for him is he can really go deep in the games. And, I mean, he's showed that. I mean, for us, he, he had an ERA around 2.4. He's going up to AAA, and he has an ERA at 2.21, I think, in his first you know, eight starts there. Um, so he's a guy I think that really has a potential to be uh, in that Atlanta rotation next year. Just another piece of the puzzle um, for that for that starting rotation. And I tell you, another guy who I'm excited about that wasn't uh, you know, didn't get a war was Spencer Strider, um, who was also you know drafted in 2020. Uh, he went to all three level, well, actually four levels now that he's in Triple A. Made his Triple A debut. Uh, today, as we're recording this podcast on a, on a Wednesday, um, it pitched in relief. But for us, he was just phenomenal at fastball slider combination. I really think he's a potential guy in the back end of a bullpen. Today, he touched 101 wow. in one inning relief for Gwinnett, struck out the side in his AAA debut. Um, the comparison that I kind of like to, to throw out with Spencer, uh, I mean, Strider throws fastball slider. I mean, his fastball just absolutely jumps. Like, it has natural rise to it, and it gets on you fast. The slider's great, but, you know, the guy kind of reminds me of, and I grew up in, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, watching, you know, a lot of those those teams. Living in Tennessee, fall the Cardinals, and Adam Wainwright, when he came up, you know, a starting pitcher, uh, but he really you know, did a nice job for the Cardinals early on in his career as a reliever. Yeah. And I think for, for Spencer Strider, I mean, to have a weapon that can come in and throw 101 miles an hour in your bullpen, uh, I think he has the, the ability to do that potentially. So I really like, I like, uh, I like Spencer a lot too. You've talked about his jumps already, potentially a late jump uh, even to the next level this year, or is that too, too far a stretch? I, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I, I think I, I really love when I heard, you know, a couple of days ago that, you know, Shea and, and Spencer were going to AAA. I thought, you know, that's great for them, great opportunity. But when I saw that Spencer came in as a reliever and that he touched 101, I was like, that that is – I mean, you, you, you never want to define what a guy is at AA. You don't want to say this guy is a reliever, this guy is a starter. Because I think it really – helps out a, a young pitcher to be a starter at this level because you're able to develop 
you know, that second, third, maybe even a fourth pitch, you know, that second, third time around in the lineup, you really have to, you know, give the hitter something they haven't seen before or you're going to get hit. And, you know, for him to be able to develop that change up a little bit more this year, but to get up there to AAA and showcase that potential. I mean, I would imagine his performance today uh, in AAA probably – uh, widen some eyes in Atlanta about you know his potential because we, as we all know, if you're a Braves fan, that bullpen <laughs> is yeah. is uh, most certainly something mm. you're not uh, comfortable with, and to have somebody like that who you know he's he's too young right now at 22 for somebody to tell him he's not good enough. Uh, <laughs> and he's got that he's got that confidence rolling after winning a double a championship that you, you throw him up there and you know let's see what happens chris you've kind of given us the lay of the land of of the double a and then the guys that have made uh the jump the overall farm system for the braves could you kind of give us a report um there certainly you have your ears to the ground on on this <laughs> Uh, just the entire system as a whole? Yeah, like the health of the system. You know, the Braves had to, of course, um, pass mm-hmm. on some assets to be able to yeah. recuperate this year. And, man, right. the assets have showed up and done what, what you would want them to and more. And so just the health moving uh, forward of the farm system as the Braves are, I would think, going to be in contention for a long while with this young, great nucleus that they have. Right. Well, and I mean, as as you kind of alluded to there, you know, still recovering from, you know, not having enough, uh, you know, bullets, you know, not having some of the restrictions on the international free agents. I mean, that's that can't not impact you. And I think maybe you saw that a little bit, you know, at the lower levels of the system this year. But, you know, they drafted they've drafted extremely well. Um, You know, I think. you know, the scouting department has done a great job. And then, yeah, you know, the thing with Alex Anthopoulos that, that I really, you know, enjoy, and I think maybe some Braves fans wish he was a little bit more aggressive. And I can't, you know, I can't disagree with that to a certain extent. But, I mean, look at the moves he's made this year with, with uh, you know, you, you trade. Uh, and I love Alex Jackson. was with him for a long time. I think he's a good player. would be great with the Marlins. But you get a guy like uh, Duvall back for him and what he's been able to do. And Jorge Soler, you know, that <laughs> Rosario, who's for a cycle. Um, yeah. You know, he made he made the right moves. I think the Braves, some Braves fans may, would like for him to be a bit more aggressive. But he hasn't done anything to uh, derail – uh, the train as far as the minor league system. Yes, they're not ranked in the top five or ten. They're not the Tampa Bay Rays organization where you know their entire strategy is to get other teams to pay for their yeah. hiring prospects, and they get them, yeah. you know, somehow, some way. Um, but you know, there's just so much talent right now at the Double A, Triple A level, especially on the mound. Uh, that there's so much to look forward to, uh, you know, and a guy like Shea Lang Aliers, you know, down there at the lower levels, you know, it's kind of hard to uh, to not follow a young man like Michael Harris, who mm. it really surprised me this year. He never uh, got to double A, but, you know, one thing we kind of learned fairly quickly this year is they were going to let guys just play, you know, they were going to let them play at a level, 
you know, unless unless something drastic happened, they weren't going to really move them. Uh, Jesse Franklin, the fifth uh, down there in, in Rome this year, had a tremendous year. He had over, you know, led the organization in home runs. You got a young infielder in Falling Grissom, the son of Marquise mm-hmm. Grissom. Who had a great year as well. Plus, you have, you know, the 2020 guys. You know, Q6 got a, you know, good start to his season. Um, so I, you know, it comes in waves, obviously, and sometimes there's little ripples in the wave. But I think Braves fans should feel pretty good about where you know the health of the organization is, and you know, you got to remember. I mean, it, it's so weird, you know, having an entire year missed. Yeah. Um, that, you know, watching players this year, you know, some making huge strides, some making, you know, the, the exact opposite of that um, this year. But, you know, I really, really am excited about the Arizona Fall League this year, you know, getting that back going, uh, getting more innings for certain players in this offseason where hopefully there's a little bit of normalcy where they can, you know, gear up for a spring training. Um, but yeah, I think the Braves are in, in good shape there. And obviously we know at the major league level, they're not going any anywhere anytime soon with, you know, the core group that they have, um, you know, they just got to sign Freddie Freeman, uh, to a deal at some point. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking right now, but, um, but I, you know, there's a lot of positive things. I really can't say anything, uh, you know, critical about, you know, where this organization is. And I'm riding a high coming off a double A championship, but, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of big leaguers on this, on this roster we had here. There's a lot of guys who were probably going to be organizational players, you know, for the rest of their careers. And that's okay. Uh, because you need guys like that, but, uh, there's just enough, you know, really, really special players that, you know, there's going to be some tough decisions that are needed to be made, which is, which is never a bad thing. How cool is it for you? And then we'll, we'll get you out of here, Chris. We do appreciate uh, your time. But how cool is it for you to see what Coach Snit's been able to do, uh, of course, with his background and his story and the way that he's been able to manage at the major league level? Yeah, I mean, you know, the coolest thing I think about Brian Snicker, and, and I know, I, trust me, on my Twitter feed I get all the time, uh, you know, people that, that don't like Brian Snicker, yeah. um, which, which, you know, first of all, he's the nicest person, you know, you'll ever meet and, and the players love him to death. And, and I think it's, it's only natural. I think he would probably tell you, Hey, you can criticize me anytime you think I may make a tough move or a bad move. And, and I think probably he has made a lot of bad moves, but for Snit, I think the coolest thing about him is, is the person that hired him. That's Hank Aaron, mm-hmm. you know, back in the eighties when, when, um, when Hank quit playing, he was the farm director and it was Hank Aaron that hired Brian Snitker. And he, just like a lot of these young players, you know, he went up the system, you know, and 40 plus years into his, you know, coaching career. I mean, how many times in 40 plus years, do you probably say, I'm kind of tired of riding the bus. I'm tired of this grind. I'm tired of, you know, being away from my family and for him to be able to, to get that opportunity and, you know, list some of the success now, you know, I'm sure he would love to uh, get there and, and, and win the thing, get to the World Series. Um, but it's a great story. I mean, you, you can't not not really love, you know, the fact that, that he's done what he's done. I don't think anybody, uh, any manager in, in Major League Baseball would have a better story if he were to win a World Series than Brian Snitker. Um, and, 
you know, he was he was the the inaugural manager here in Mississippi. He yeah. was the Greenville manager in 2004 and was with the club when he came to, to Mississippi. I uh, love some of the old pictures of him wearing the glasses. Yeah. Um, you know, he kind of looks looked older then than he does now in a few of the photos with the mustache. But, uh, yeah, you know, he, he can't not, not pull for a guy like that. Chris, man, I've appreciated your calls when you were the shuckers down this way on the Gulf Coast and, and calls with the Mississippi Braves. So continue to do the class work uh, that you're doing, and thank you for your time today. I appreciate that, guys. And I tell you what, how about some of those you know, former shuckers with that Brewers team, Hader and Hauser, Peralta, Burns, and all those guys. That's what an incredible uh, team they have. We just won the NL Central. So lots of great memories there. And uh, – yeah, you guys call me anytime. Thank you, Chris. How do you unwind? Whether it's hunting, riding horses, or just sitting around a campfire, it's better on land you own. Southern Ag Credit can finance that land. Give our Gulf Port office a call at 228-832-5582. Or visit us online at southernagcredit.com. Welcome now to the show. Back again is Rick and Tyler Cleveland, guys, that we've had on uh, prior to tonight. But we figured tonight would be as good a time as any to catch back up with the Clevelands and see how it's going. How's it going up in the north north side of the state, up in Jackson? Well, it's raining. But other than that, it's it's great. We got a big golf tournament here this week, and uh, uh, got the Braves coming on in a few minutes, and got a big football game. Uh, actually, two or three of them this weekend. Yeah, so plenty to write about, huh, Rick? Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, Tyler's got a lot going on too with uh, with high schools and. Uh, um, bunch of big games, bunch of good football this year, period. Yeah, I mean, I when I started thinking, who could we have on this week? The Clevelands, like, this has got to be just like a dream week for you two, huh? Yeah, man. I mean, the you know, between the, the Braves and the pennant race and, and the Sanderson Farms Championship, uh, and then, you know, we're moving into district play of football at high school level. Uh, you know, we got Alabama and Ole Miss this weekend. Uh, just a just a bunch going on, but man, I'm you know it's it's that time of year. It's that, that fall crunch, and I mean this is kind of why you do it. Yeah, absolutely. September will bleed over in uh, to October. A lot of cool stuff going on. Let's camp out. Let's start on golf, y'all. Y'all have mentioned it a couple times already. Uh, the the event going on in your neck of the woods. But let's go back last week, the Ryder Cup, and then y'all's joy in watching that. And I'll ask y'all as a as a spectator, does that rival the Masters, or where is that kind of in y'all's uh, pleasure of watching a golf event? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think the Ryder Cup is probably my second favorite event to the Masters. And I don't really, you know, it seems like, Every year when we get to the Masters, I'm just, you know, buzzing all week. Uh, but this, you know, the Ryder Cup, I really got jacked for it this year because I felt like we had such a good team and such a good chance to do well. And, you know, they end up, you know, going out and doing it. But, um, you know, you, you look at those guys on the American roster and you get them up there and you, you got the head-to-head. 
with all those great European players like Sergio and Ian Poulter who have had so much success in that event. Uh, you know, and you've got some young guys out there competing with them. And, you know, it's just a, it's, it, I get a chance to pull for guys I don't usually pull for, you know. Uh, you know, like uh, Bryson DeChambeau is a great example. I mean, I think he won over a bunch of people last week. And, uh, you know, it's kind of different when he's wearing a jersey or team you, you kind of want to see do well. Yeah, it's like made-for-TV event. Rick, was there anybody this past uh, week with the Ryder Cup from the U.S. that, or from the other side that surprised you in, in how they play? Uh, well, I, you know, I thought I thought Steve Stricker's uh, captain picks were all big contributors. I thought he did an amazing job as captain, and they're talking about who would be the next one. And I'm not so sure they ought not let him do it again because yeah. I thought he did a great job. Uh, uh, I, you know, I guess DJ was my star. Uh, Dustin Johnson, 5-0. and uh, He always, you know, he just walks and swings the golf club and uh, like he's freshly greased. He, you know, he's just so smooth and uh, hits it so far. And, and just seems uh, to not even acknowledge any pressure. I thought he was. I thought he was terrific. And you know what makes this tournament here this week so special is that this past weekend Sergio Garcia became the all-time winningest player in Ryder Cup history. Wow. Uh, Europe lost, but he was three and one. Yeah. Uh, this week, and, and now he has. 27 and a half points uh, in Ryder Cup play, and that's uh, that's more than Nick Faldo or Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicklaus or Tiger Woods or anybody. So, and he he was out at the Country Club of Jackson at 7 a.m. teeing off in the pro am here this week. So that's that's really special for for Mississippi golf. So, Rick, when Tyler was a younger man and you were covering the Sanderson Farm Championship, could you imagine, or, or the championship, I guess it wouldn't have been that uh, title back then, but could you imagine that caliber of player uh, showing up and, and being in the field a week after? No, you know, it's strange. My, my, my history with this tournament goes back to 1968 in Hattiesburg when I was a 16-year-old rider for the Hattiesburg American. And it was a little $20,000 satellite tournament um, startup at the Hattiesburg Country Club. And you're talking about never being able to dream something like this to where you're going to have the all-time Ryder Cup winner uh Teeing it off here, trying to win a million point one hundred thousand dollars in the, yeah. in a term in that same little tournament. It's uh, it's grown and it's uh, it's it's great for golf. And that, you know, we should one thing about this year's tournament. There's five or six Mississippi guys playing in it. Uh, we've got some of the best young golfers on the planet who are are hitting the tour now from Mississippi, and I'm looking forward to watching them too. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. And then, Tyler, when you look at uh, the state as a whole to have this event going on, 
Uh, the Mississippi Braves, once again in y'all's uh, neck of the woods, wins a double-A South League championship this week, too. Yeah, man. And, that, and, and you know, as, a, as kind of a Braves guy, because, you know, when I was growing up, we had the TV, we had the Braves on the Superstation. Mm-hmm. And so we watched them uh, probably four or five nights a week. Um, and so for us to get that minor league club here and then to see them do so well, I mean, you know, a bunch of these guys are going to be, you know, they're going to be on my TV five nights a week in two or three years, uh, some of them next year. Um, so it's just, it's, it's cool to have that right here in the backyard. And we've seen some good guys, you know, some of the best players that the franchise has produced come through here since they moved to Pearl. And, you know, it's just been really cool. And, uh, you know, every year I keep saying I'm going to go to more games and I never do get out there, but, um, I'm going to have to going forward because, I mean, I'm just, I, you know, I got Braves fever, man. Well, look, we've got Chris Harris. We were able to interview him earlier today. He's the voice of the Mississippi Braves. And, man, he does such a good job of calling the action. I had gotten spoiled to him calling the shuckers. And so he, he's fun to, to follow. And, of course, man, my, my take is nobody's going to know the team like the radio voice. And so we got him for 20 or – 25 minutes earlier in the, the description of this team. You know, the Braves don't need much help from the farm system, and the farm system's not in just tremendous shape, but they're going to get the little help they need coming, and so that's a good sign for Braves fans. Well, you know, I remember I remember going out just to watch Freddie Freeman and Jason Hayward take batting practice hmm. uh, uh, when they were here, you know, Austin Riley came through here, uh, Dansby Swanson, you, you name it. We we all saw him here first, and uh, and apparently we've got some guys that are going to be moving on up in the next year or two. Used to be they would go straight from here to to Atlanta, but now uh, it seems like more often they go they go to AAA first, but. Uh, uh, we've had a lot of them that just went straight from here to Atlanta. Rick, when you look at Mississippi-born players, it's and you're going to have a better history take on this than I would, but what Riley's doing this year is going to be pretty high up on that list, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he really has a chance. If you look at his numbers right now and his age, and how much he's progressed in the short time he's been up there, he's really got a chance to become the greatest, most accomplished um, Mississippi baseball player ever. Yeah, that's I mean, a mouthful, got, too. I know that's... the sounds outlandish, but it's really true. If you if you look at it now, who would you say is the best native-born Mississippi baseball player in history? Yeah, it would be hard. I mean, that's a... And and really for the rich Pine Belt, when I think of, you know, the Pine Belt and how story kind of baseball is through there, but we just don't have a lot of skins on the wall opposed to football where we have kind of the Mount Rushmore of, of football. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right now I'd say the best native-born Mississippi baseball player ever was Cool Papa Bell, and he never even played the major leagues, of course, because he couldn't, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's, but, that's uh, interesting. Austin Roth, his, 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 I mean, there's no reason to think he's not going to hit 30 or 35, 40 home runs a season for the next 
eight, ten seasons, you know? Yeah, cool, yeah, cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, so where will you head on uh, Friday night and kind of give our listeners, I know they're, they're certainly aware of what you're doing on Friday nights, but tell our listeners where you're headed and when what you're doing for the game on on Friday nights and then the coverage that you're providing. I know you're one of the first places I go to when we're off the air on, on Fridays to check out your Twitter feed and where you've been. Yeah, I try to put it, and I'm trying to mix it up a little bit, but this week I am in, I'm probably going to be here in the Metro uh, for Madison Central. They're hosting Grenada. Uh, big old game in Region 2, uh, Grenada coming off a loss to Tupelo, and uh, Madison Central coming off a loss as well. Both of them looking to kind of get back in the win column because, you know, they're both – I mean, I, Grenada's much improved. I mean, they moved up to 6A this year, but they've got a, a stellar running game with a kid named Joe Moss is just like – I mean, every week, I mean, he gets in my DMs and just sends me these outlandish uh, – you know, stats that I have to go look up, but it's, it's, it's all true. I mean, he runs for like 200, 230 yards a game. Um, so I'm going to go check him out, uh, for the first time Friday night against Madison Central on that good defense. Um, what we try to do is I try to cover games from across the state. I got a couple of writers, some retired sports writers, some college students, some people that just love football. They cover games for us on Friday nights. Uh, and so we try to get, you know, uh, at least one game up there in the Oxford, Tupelo, uh, Starfoy area, one game from DeSoto County, one game from the Pine Belt, one game from the coast, uh, a couple games from the Metro. And then on Friday night, we, we, we put it all up there for everybody to see. Uh, I put together a list of top performers from around the state. I just kind of scrape the Internet, and I take nominations from coaches and players. Uh, we put up a post every Friday night how the top 10 teams in our Power 10 poll fared. Uh, so we just got, I mean, it's pretty much wall-to-wall coverage on Friday night, and I try to have it all ready for when folks get up on Saturday morning. Um, and then during the week, we do, you know, we do the Player of the Week poll. Uh, we'll have a feature about games to watch over the weekend. Uh, it's just, we, we have fresh content. This past week, we did the top 15 quarterbacks to start out the season top 15 wide receivers today i put out the top 15 offensive linemen uh so it's just we got a lot going on on the site man we're just trying to give the high school football coverage you know the uh you know the attention it deserves uh and i mean it's just it's it's huge man i mean it's it's ridiculous we did i tell people this and they don't believe me but the first uh the first five months we had our site going, we did more traffic on Mississippi High School Sports than our sister site in California did for high school sports. I mean, that's how much it means to people here. Uh, and, you know, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. Um, really cool stuff. Good content put out uh, by y'all. It's quick, easy to find, and you can really inform yourself pretty quick late on a Friday night or, as you described, early on a saturday morning and rick staying on the high school scene uh the story you did i guess it's probably two or three weeks ago now on greenville uh christian and then the ball game that they were able to hook up and play with oak grove what a man what a story huh i think it's becoming a national story i know cbs news was in greenville today uh to do a segment on them and um 
it's a great story. I mean, you got a little school that grades uh, K through 12 has about 230 students, and and they went down to Oak Grove and beat the defending 6A <laughs> champions. Uh, where you know, I don't know how many students they had, 1,500 in grades nine yeah. through 12. I mean. It's pretty amazing what they've accomplished, and uh, just a terrific story. They—they uh, probably got—they're—they're they're saying the scouting services are saying they have five D one players. I'm not sure they don't have six or seven, uh, but they're—they're they're terrific. The coaches do a great job, and they have a big game here in town this week against Jackson Academy. Uh, and there may be some big news about another interstate game mm-hmm. coming up for them here in the next couple of weeks too. I'm, 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 I can't talk about <laughs> it right now, but I believe you're going to see them go out of state to play a big time team again in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'd like to put in a plug for Tyler's website, the Scorebook Live. It's, uh, you know, we there was a time in Mississippi where the Clarion Ledger on Saturday morning mm-hmm. was the high school bible and uh high school football bible and and that really hadn't existed for about i don't know seven eight nine years anyway that's what i think scorebook live is providing a go-to place where you can read uh statewide mississippi high school coverage and 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 it's put into context and uh and it's professionally done, and uh, I'm, I'm just glad to see it, and I think it feels a great void. Yeah, I would echo that, uh, Rick, for sure. It, it does, and it's it's cool to get teams a- across the state, uh, the coverage that they're doing. And, and in form, I mean, like, like Tyler has stated, that, that traffic's because of the job they're doing and the passion people have from, you know, from Tupelo all the way down to – to pick you in about their high school football on Friday nights. Well, especially down there in uh, Wing T County, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where you are. Yeah, I we. Know there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. I know we're getting close to first pitch for the Braves game. Well, I'll ask y'all one more kind of a round robin uh, type question on uh, college football. We touched on it, but I'll start with the um of course the 230 cbs game with alabama and, and old miss and and what y'all's thoughts are on that ball game what kind of uh fighters chance punchers chance y'all give old miss in that ball game i'm really glad that you asked us about this because we got a general disagreement on this i thought the line when it came out i think it initially started at 14 and a half uh was too big uh, and I said, man, we gotta, we finish up with work today. We gotta go over to Vicksburg and put some <laughs> on that. And, and, and Rick's going, you can go if you want to. <laughs> so I think too big. I give Ole Miss a puncher's chance. I think, you know, Alabama has looked, uh, you know, they didn't look shaky last week, but they have, uh, early in the season. And, you know, they got a young quarterback and, I just feel like they're it's as gettable as, as it's been. So I give them I give them more than a puncher's chance. Uh, I wouldn't say fifty fifty, but I, I I like the rebels to uh, at least cover that. Uh, and I've lived in uh, the deep south uh, long enough to know not to bet against Alabama, and not especially when Nick Saban is the head coach. Uh, I'm. 
you know, I, I think Ole Miss could cover. I, I think Ole Miss could win the game, but it's going to take four or five turnovers the way it did last time. They went to Tuscaloosa and won, and I think the t- turnovers are five to nothing then. I think it would take a game like that. I'm, I don't have any doubts that Ole Miss will move the football and score some points. I have lots of doubts that they can stop Ole, stop Alabama and get off the field enough to uh, – to win the football game. Guys, and look, we'll, the team that they took on last week was Southern Miss, and I'm, I'm not going to let y'all out of here without asking about the rumors, the smoke signals, especially on Twitter. I guess that was earlier today or late yesterday on Southern Miss potentially headed to the Sun Belt. You two, uh, y'all's, both of y'all's thoughts on that, and then we'll – get over and hope watch Max Freed pitch a gym tonight after after this question on Southern Miss potentially to the Sun Belt? I, I think it's like, I, I don't know that that's happening. I don't think it's happening. I don't think it's imminent. I do think that the best possible fit for Southern Miss right now in, in today's landscape of college athletics is in a mix of what is now the Sun Belt and a couple of three or four teams that are now in Conference USA. Um, uh, save on expenses, hmm. build rivalries close by that you can bust to, fans can go to the games. Um, Sun Belt has a better TV deal right now. Uh, I, I would not be against it, but I would like to see some combination of the two conferences. Yeah, it would be interesting if you could bring Louisiana Tech uh, with you or if they're going to stay behind. That, that, I guess that would be the deal, right, is, is who's coming and, and who's staying. But, Tyler, your thoughts on it? I kind of would echo what, what, what my dad had said, but I think that you know, at this point, Southern Miss has got, you know, it's got a lot going for it, and I think that they would be a really good program in the Sun Belt. I think they would compete year in and year out. It'd be a really good baseball conference, mm-hmm. just kind of looking at it from another angle. Um, you know, and that's, that's, you know, Southern Miss baseball has been something that I've covered and enjoyed watching over the years. And, uh, you know, I just think it, I, I think whatever fits best for football is ultimately what's going to win the day. But I'm looking at that conference as a baseball conference, thinking, you know, especially if, if La Tech and you know somebody, some schools like that would would also get in there. I mean, you know, that that makes me excited uh, for the deal. You know, I just I hope whatever they do, um, they can get kind of on better financial footing. You know, it's been sure. a, it's been a rough decade. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for conference realignment and where Southern Miss is concerned and I you know, I'd I'd love to see them make a move uh that would be, you know, beneficial both to the competitiveness of the league and for Southern Miss financially. Yeah, that's certainly probably what Mr. McLean's looking forward to. Here. I, I, am, uh, I know as this season hadn't started off like what everybody had hoped for for Southern Miss, but I, I am totally convinced that um, they have the right guy uh, leading that program now. I actually think they have the right guy leading the whole athletic mm. department now. And uh, I think better days are ahead for them. And I think if, if, if football can become 
what it used to be at Southern Miss that Will, Will Hall's probably the guy to get them there. Man, how can you not pull? If he's not your opponent that week, I don't know, just watching him from kind of afar and having a few interactions with him here on the show, I don't know how you could pull against him, guys. He's a good guy, and he's a good football coach, and it's a, he's got a tough damn job, but I think he's, uh, I think he's up for it. Yeah, me too. All right, guys, let's go pull on, pull for those Bravos. I appreciate y'all's time tonight. All right, appreciate thank you, it, bro. Thank, thank y'all. Andy,